A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, this is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored in memory of Avram, Rabbi Avram Nachman Ben Zev, Rabbi Avram Wolfson, who just recently passed away. Um, a very special man. I happen to have met him several times. Someone who's always running around, running to seek to do more mitzvahs. He was a very simple person, no shtick. Um, he was, uh, when he, back in, in the early years before he had bought a, uh, an apartment in Israel, so he used to come on these whirlwind trips for 24 hours, 36 hours. He wouldn't even take out a hotel room. He would be meeting with people, distributing money to widows and orphans that he had, you know, almost like, like he adopted, not officially, but like, uh, um, took care of them. He would, and then he would go, Go to the, one of the local mikvahs in Yerushalayim to take a shower before his flight. He was someone who was completely uh, visiting the G'dayle Yisrael. He was full of life, uh, didn't care much for Gashmias, uh, any, you know, didn't, didn't speak to him. He would help out anyone who he could in, in Israel and very often in the, unfortunately, there's discrimination in the, uh, in, in the Haredi educational institutions against those who come from, and many of them, not all of them, of Sephardic uh, background, and he would call, call up for people who he didn't even know and assist them and their children to get into schools. And he was close with many politicians, senators, presidents, Knesset members, prime ministers in both the United States and Israel, and did a lot of uh, quietly things behind the scenes, not in the spotlight. His house, in both in Flatbush and in, in Israel, was uh, any hour of the day was open, completely like a Rosh Hashanah You'd always find, even in the middle of the night, it would be Mishalachim from all over the world, from Israel, eating there, learning, resting. It was totally an open house. And it was it was, it was was like, uh, when we're, today we're going to talk about uh, Brisk, or Rebsim Chazal Agriger of Brisk. So it, it reminds me of, of the way they used to describe Reb Chaim Brisker's house, that it was also an open house, exactly the same way that Reb Chaim described his house as more than a Rishus Harabim, because Rishus Harabim has rules, and you're not allowed to, uh, you know, put your bed down in Rishus Harabim and go to sleep. But my house is completely hefker, and your people do whatever they want here, 
So it's even more of a Rosh Hashanah than a Rosh Hashanah. And uh, Rabbi Ram Wolfson's house uh, was the same way. So it kind of connects to our subject today of Brisk. I just want to mention two other people who, great historical, great people, and also historical people uh, who just passed away in the last uh, several days. There was Rabbi Gedalia Schwartz, who was the Rav in Chicago, the head of the CRC, head of the Besden. He was formerly a rabbi in Borough Park. Uh, also someone uh, li- lived through history, and also Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, who grew up in Vienna, a very prestigious family in Vienna, and then he was later a rabbi for forever, basically, for like 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, I don't know how long. He was a very close student of Rav Salvechik. He was close to the Baron Cutler, and more. Also, tremendous history. There are descendants of his who are listeners to uh, uh, the... Uh, to Jewish history soundbites, so perhaps we'll have an opportunity to hear more stories and share them, maybe an episode or something. Um, from here we go, before we get to Reb Simcha Zelig and Brisk, I want to finish off our uh, introducing and explaining the audio intro. We're up to clip number 10, and that is none other than um, the Rosh Hashiva Zatzal, Reb Nassim Finkel, the Rosh of the Mir, who was invited to give one of the main speeches at the 11th Siyam Hashas in Yerushalayim. There was a special Siyam Hashas in Yerushalayim for English speakers in Binyane Ha'uma. And, uh, and the Rashiva Ramesh was uh, the featured speaker. And he, uh, this was in 2005, and he spoke about his, the sweetest words that are possible to be heard is Hadron Allah. Talmud Bavli, and uh, the way he expressed it, and the way he meant it, and the way he conveyed that, is uh, pretty much an unforgettable moment. By the same Siyam Ashas, across the Atlantic, um, is the 11th clip, Rabbi Yisachar Frand, he live and be well, so he always an amazing speaker, so he says memorable uh, uh, things, so we have a clip from him that it's never too late, it's never enough. We always have to do more. So we felt that was an appropriate addition to the audio intro as well. And it was said at the context in the context of the of the, that Sima Shas in two thousand and five in New York. Um, and then the twelfth and last clip is the narrator, the narrator who introduces each episode, and he he does say live from Jerusalem. And I have to admit that you know it just sounded better than saying Beit Shemesh. Beit Shemesh is is the is the Jerusalem area? It's it's the same area code, and it's the metropolitan area. It's the same district, and um, and whoever heard of Beit Shemesh anyway? So you know Jerusalem. It's 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 that's what that's what we're gonna call it. Um, so we're ready to move on. One last uh, tidbit, which has nothing to do with Jewish history, but. You read the news and you see history in the making in the news. You can't hold yourself back and not talk about it. But I saw today that Major League Baseball officially recognizes the Negro Leagues as official major leagues. That's big news in baseball history that's righting a historical wrong. And we're going to start to see new records. Who knows, Josh Gibson might be rivaling Pete Rose and Ty Cobb for... uh, all kinds of hitting records and other important players' uh, records are going to be officially going to enter the books now. So that's going to be exciting. Either way, finally get to Brisk and Reb Simchazelig. Reb Simchazelig Rieger, the great Dian of Brisk, um, 
like I said, um, we mentioned Rabbi Avram Wolfson and how his house was Hefker, Rabbi Chaim Brisker's house was Hefker. That brings us to Brisk, but it's also because of a recent episode that I was reminded of it. We had uh, about Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman recently, just a week or two ago, about uh, how his growing up in Brisk and his very close relationship with uh, Rabbi Simcha Zelig Rieger. So I decided that it's time to have an episode about this great man who um, not a lot is known about, and there's, there, isn't, there isn't that many, there isn't that much. I'll get to the sources in, in just a minute. I just want to mention a little bit of the background of what Brisk was, because there's a few uh, misconceptions. Um, first of all, this, it's a city. I've heard uh, people speak about Brisk, and people a lot of people like to speak about Brisk. Most often, they, they have no idea what they're talking about, but they, a lot of people like to talk about it. So, you know, we... I go there with the groups whenever we could, and it's a, it's a great place to visit. But even if, if you look back then, um, Brisk was not a little shtetl. It was a city. It was a, a considered by the standards of the time a major city. It wasn't Warsaw, it wasn't Moscow, but uh, it was a relatively large city. If you had in most little shtetls, you had 500 Jews or 1,000 Jews or 2,000 so in the 1897 census, which is pretty much the only census, whenever, whenever when anyone quotes a census about the Russian Empire, they're almost always referring to the 1897 census because that was pretty much the only time in Tsarist Russia they made a proper census with good data and everything. So there were 40,000 people living in Brisk, of whom three quarters, 75% of the city were Jews. You're talking about a city of 30,000 Jews. That's not a little shtetl. Um, and it's an ancient Jewish town. It's one of the earliest settled towns in Eastern Europe. Uh, you're talking about uh, way before the Soloveitchiks, it already had great, great people. The Marshal was never a rabbi in the town, Rabbi Shleim Luria of the, of the 16th century, about 500 years ago, but he grew up there. Uh, one of the prominent rabbis of the town was the Bach, Rabbi Yael Sirkish. He was, he was um, known famously as the Bach, as his commentary on, on the tour. But uh, he was rabbi of several towns. He's buried in Krakow, which we go visit his cover near the Ramah in the old Krakow Jewish cemetery. But he was a rabbi in several other towns before he arrived in Krakow, one of which was Brisk. He also happened to have been the, been the rabbi in Bells and in Mezhebizh also, where he had a yeshiva, which is being rebuilt now. So in the pre-Hasidic era, you can have the same person who was a rabbi in both Brisk and Mezhebizh. That's pretty exciting also. Either way, so by the turn of the century, which is the time that Ripsim Chazalig was in Brisk, uh, Brisk was, uh, since it was a city, it wasn't a shtetl, so it already became a center of of all the isms that were flying around the Jewish communities of the Russian Empire. There's a center of Zionist activity. It was a very diverse Jewish population. It was all types. There were religious, there were secular, there was in-between, and there was uh, all, part, all parts of different political movements. That was um, that was brisk uh, during that time. Menachem Begin, the Prime Minister of, of Israel, actually grew up there. His father was very active in the Zionist circles in Brisk. In fact, in 1904, he tried organizing a memorial for Herzl in the central uh, great synagogue of Brisk. And Reb Chaim Brisker, the Rav, who was anti-Zionist, he had the main shul locked to prevent the ceremony from taking place. And Begin's father, who was quite defiant, he had the lock sawed off because he wanted to have this ceremony. So you have the the struggles within the town uh, as well. By the way, once I mentioned Begin, and we're talking about Reb Simcha Zelig, so I saw one source brings uh, uh, that Begin recalled, 
in, I'm putting that in quotation marks, the Nazis humiliating Reb Simcha Zelig Rieger at the beginning of World War II and cutting off his beard. So it's true that the Nazis humiliated Reb Simcha Zelig and cut off at least a part of his beard, and that happens to have taken place, but to have Begin remember that is an interesting recollection. Why? Because Menachem Begin was not in Brisk at all, to the best of my knowledge, for even one day during World War II. He started off the war in Warsaw, he escaped to Vilna, and from there he was arrested by the Soviets and sent to Siberia, and from there he was released and joined General Anders' army and went through Persia, which is today Iran, and from there he went to Israel and took charge of the Irgun, but that's a different story. Either way, he was not in Brisk, so for him to have that recollection is pretty interesting, which may call into question some of his other recollections in his memoir, which have uh, you know strong political... Um, as head of the Irgun and Dir Yassin and Altalina and all those other stories, and I don't know uh, how much uh, we, we would be able to rely on his recollections. Either way, so um, he uh, the uh, in World War One, the end of World War One, um, in, in the Eastern Front, Lenin. The, one of the reasons that the Bolshevik Revolution was successful in 1917 is because Lenin promised something to the Russian people that 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 was crucial is that he would end the war. Um, no one wanted to continue the war. They were sick and tired of the war. And the treaty that Lenin signed with Germany, with the Kaiser's Germany, in, in, uh, was signed in the city in Russian called Brest-Litvosk, which is Brisk of Lithuania, Brisk-Delita, which is it's how it's sometimes referred to. And it was called the Treaty of Brest-Litvosk. So you're talking about Brisk was a major center. I mean, this is where the two armies met, the two diplomats met, and they signed the treaty ending World War One on the Eastern Front. Um, during uh, during World War One, there was an exile of Jews during there because it's a strategic area. Um, at the beginning of World War Two, in fact, there was the the, the only joint Nazi Soviet march that took place to to celebrate. The Soviet Nazi non-aggression pact of the Molotov von Ribbentrop non-aggression pact that was signed right before World War II, in which they, the secret clause was that they split Poland between the two um, uh, tyrants. So they had a joint march, a joint military march that took place in Brisk. Um, in eastern Poland, of course, where Brisk was, fell to the Soviets until the Nazis reneged on the agreement less than two years later and invaded. But that's later. So this, there's pictures of it. There's pictures of Nazi and German officers, I'm sorry, German and Soviet officers marching together in Brisk. So it's a major area. It's a major center. By the way, another famous Brisker, once we're talking about famous Briskers, was a fellow by the name of Yaakov Chazan. Yaakov Chazan was a, the founder of the Shomer Hatzair and one of the heads of the kibbutz movement. And he grew up in Brisk and went to Cheder before he uh, left traditional Judaism. And he said it uh, amazingly, uh, a great line. He once, uh, in his later years, and he, you know, people in their later years sometimes get a little bitter about the young, uh, new generation. So he once expressed, he said, we wanted to raise a generation of apikursim, and we got a generation of Amaratsim, which is a great line in general, very perceptive. But also you see what a brisker he was, this person who was so secular. Um, he was, you know, he was almost communist. He wrote a hespid for Stalin when he, when he died. But he's such a brisker. The only thing that he cares about is that the fact that, these, that, that the young generation is Amaratsim, and he can't handle that, that they're Amaratsim. So 
When we get into uh, the real story of Reb Simcha Zelig, so there's, you know, the Meller book, of course, has a lot on him in his books, a multi-volume book about the Briskarov. There is a book that came out, uh, Professor Sarah Rieger, a granddaughter of Reb Simcha Zelig. She published recently her father's memoirs, uh, which includes a lot of information about Reb Simcha Zelig. By the way, there's a fantastic interview with her on uh, the Sfarim Chatter. The interviewer is great, and he interviews all kinds of great people, including uh, Jewish history soundbites. But he, that, that, that interview was a very good one, a lot of information there. Um, some erroneous information, which I've corrected in another context, but that's a different story. Um, Rav Steinman, who I mentioned in the last one, and he has a a, a book, I don't, I don't know if we call them memoirs, that's not so yeshivish, but they're somewhat memoirs of of, uh, of Rav Steinman that he that he uh, also uh, describes his recollections of uh, Rav Simcha Zelig. Um, so the the he he Rav Simcha Zelig his father he came from a prestigious family grew up in Navardak. His father had studied in the Velazhin Yeshiva. He himself studied in the Velazhin Yeshiva after he got married, and he he married a, a girl a Rudensky from Velazhin. But he but, so he was a Velazhiner. And he grew close with Reb Chaim Brisker when he was in Velazhin. But before that, he was in Navardic. And later on, he actually lived in Brisk, the city that he would become synonymous with. And he knew the Maril Diskin. He knew Rabbi Shuleib Diskin, who was then the rabbi of Brisk. Um, he gets married. He settles in Velazhin. And he had uh, seven children who survived to adulthood, which we'll get back to, his descendants. But unfortunately, and this is part of the tragedy that he sustained during, which was you know, unfortunately quite common in, in those times, uh, six of his, another, another six of his children, uh, died young. And they died as babies, in childbirth. Um, and during World War I, he had to, uh, escape, exiled, like everyone else in Brisk, to Minsk. And then he came back to Brisk after World War I. Um, interestingly enough, after World War I, when Reb Chaim Brisker had passed away, so the community in Brisk actually offered Reb Simcha Zelig, who was, of course, the Dayan. He was never the rabbi. But when Reb Chaim passed away, they offered him the rabbinate. They gave him a ksav rabbanus. They offered him the, that position, which he refused. He deferred it to Revelvela the Brisker Rav. Um, but he was extremely close to Reb Chaim Brisker from Valajan days, and that formed a lifelong friendship. They were, they were almost like brothers. And Reb Chaim was significantly older, 10, 15 years older than, than Reb Simcha Zelig. And Reb Chaim never made a move without him. When uh, when Reb Chaim Brisker became the rabbi, uh, replacing his father, the Beis Halevi, um, after Velazhin's closing, so Reb Chaim had settled down in Brisk to be near his father, and then shortly afterwards, the Beis Halevi passed away. So Reb Chaim was offered the position to become rabbi, and he said, it's only if Reb Simcha Zelig is, is the Dayan, if only he he's, comes along. He said, the rabbi is the leader of the community. The rabbi takes care of the downtrodden. The rabbi takes care of the members of the community. Um, but the, but, uh, but Reb Simcha Zelig is going to be the Paisik. He's going to do all the halachic decisions that are required. And the rabbi, me as rabbi, I'm not going to do, I'm remain as a leader and a father to the people who need me to, but, uh, but the halacha is all, all going to be Reb Simcha Zelig. He's the Paisik. He's the last word in everything. And Reb Chaim is removing himself from all psak. So Reb Chaim, it, it, it's funny. At some point, he also, I guess it's not about Reb Simcha Zelig, but it gives the same idea of what what Reb Chaim saw in Reb Simcha Zelig. At one point, Reb Chaim asked Reb Chaim Oizer Grudzinski to recommend a Dayan 
again, I don't think that it's talking about Rasim Chazal. It doesn't say in the, in the source of the story who he's talking about, but there was a whole Bezdin, so maybe there was another Dayan, or maybe that, maybe Reb Chaim Brisker was still asking Reb Chaim Meiser advice about a Dayan, I'm not sure. Either way, Reb Chaim asked Reb Chaim Meiser if he can recommend a Dayan for Brisk, and, uh, and, and Reb Chaim said to Reb Chaim Meiser Grzynski, I want an expert Dayan. That's what I want. What does that mean? What does an expert Dayan mean, according to Reb Chaim? Does it mean he knows a lot of Chaysh and Mishpat? No, Reb Chaim explained, an expert Dayan, in my eyes, means that he can admit when he made a mistake. That's what an expert Dayan was, someone who has the courage to admit that uh, he made a mistake, you know, we're not even talking about having the courage to admit when you lost something, but uh, at least when you made a mistake, to have the courage to admit uh, when you made a mistake. So that's that's what an expert Dayan was. I don't know if this particular anecdote was talk- referring to Reb Simchazelik, but Reb Simchazelik definitely, in Reb Chaim's eyes, was the ultimate Dayan. Um, one time Reb Chaim Brisker was traveling with the rabbi of Minsk, Reb Lezer Rabinovich. And they had a train stopped in Lunitz, so they got off the train for a couple of minutes. And the rabbi of Lunitz came to greet them, and he asked them halacha questions. So Reb Lezer Rabinovich said to Reb Chaim, No, you're the Brisker, the Rav and Brisk, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and answer the rabbi's questions? So Reb Chaim says, You know, I don't paskin, Reb Simchazalig. Rieger paskins everything by us. So Reb Lezer Rabinovich said, So I guess you should probably carry Reb Simchazalig in your pocket with you if you can't manage without him. And they were saying it in jest, but it really, uh, you know, it really, you know, gave expression to what Reb Chaim wouldn't do anything without Reb Simchazalig. He needed him in his pocket. Someone in Brisk uh, once asked uh, Reb Chaim if his son should get drafted into the Tsar's army or escape and move, immigrate to the United States. Question. It's a rabbinical question. I don't know if it's a halacha question. What did Reb Chaim do? He conferred with Reb Simchazalig. The psaka happened to be that he said he should go to the Tsar's army. He should not immigrate to the United States. But the point that, that I'm trying to bring out is that even on a question like that, Reb Chaim would not make a move without Reb Simchazalig. Reb Chaim almost never quotes later commentators, later achreinim, or contemporaries in his sefer. And yet he quotes Reb Simchazelik three times by name. They lived in the same two-family house, which the community owned and gave to the the community functionaries, like the rabbi, like the dayan, to live in. And it was adjacent to the bezdin. Um, you know, so they would live right next to each other. Every time Reb Chaim would get a letter of chidushim or of anything else, he immediately would run upstairs to go share it with Reb Simcha Zelig. They were so uh, extremely close. Um, Reb Simcha Zelig was the head of the Bezdin for half a century till he was killed by the Nazis. Uh, he was throughout the entire tenure of Reb Chaim and of his son, the Briskarov, Reb Velvola. And he was beloved by the townspeople. He was very makel in halacha and interesting in his approach to Psak, which is, I guess, if we would, uh, you know, t- in today's context, we would say that's very non-Brisker-like, but maybe Brisk was different then, I don't know. Um, and, you know, he would sometimes look at a chicken that was brought to him by one of the the ladies in the community, and he would say, if I paskin on this chicken that it's treif, then this woman and her children are going to go hungry, and they're not going to have food to eat. So I'm going to have to, you know, to, to find any heter, any heter possible. Uh, and he was a very fatherly, he... Uh, he, the, the, the Briskarov's children would play in the yard, which was shared with the building of the Bezdin. So for entertainment, they'd go in and watch Rabsim Chazelig in action. 
and they used to repeat. The Rav's children would repeat to to to, to Reese, you know, to, to whoever still around still does about how he would write a get, how Rav would write a get, how he would run a din taira. Um, he was how he ran the the show of the bezdin. Rav Simchazelig was very modest. He did not wear a binic garb. He did not wear a binic hat. He wore a simple workman's cap. Um, he sat in the middle of the shul. He would not sit at the front of the shul. And he was uh, very bold in his uh, way he paskin. He paskin a new technology. There's a whole halachic discussion, which I'm not going to get into because I know nothing about it. I just happen to have noticed that people do discuss it about refrigerators on Shabbos, which again is a brand new technology for the time. And in order to get to the conclusion that he got to, which which whatever it is, it is, ask your local uh, halachic person. He interviewed engineers. He wanted to know from the technological point of view what, what it was like, which was also quite you know revolutionary uh, uh, for Psak at the time. Um, like Reb Chaim Brisker himself, he was very lenient in matters of health and pikuach nefesh. Um, Reb Simcha Zelig had said that if a, if a child has high fever, then that's enough to warrant Chil Shabbos for him at that time. Today with antibiotics, maybe it's different, I don't know. We're talking about that time. Um, Reb Simcha Zelig would hire, um, despite the fact that he came from Valazhan, he was a Litvak, he hired Hasidim, Kotzker Hasidim, Lubavitcher Hasidim, other Hasidim to be the Shaykhtim in Brisk. Reb Chaim Brisker said about Reb Simcha Zelig that he's unique in the Yachid Bedoyrei, completely unique in the generation as a Paisik of practical halachas, unrivaled, unmatched. And uh, he was already known like that in Velazhin when he was younger, which in, in Velazhin itself was very, quite unique. They didn't get involved that much in, in practical halacha as students in Velazhin. So Rav Simchazalag was the exception in that regard as well. There's an interesting story when Rav Salvechik, Rav Yashua Ber Salvechik, um, was, was a child. And his father, Rav Moshe Salvechik, was visiting with the family, visiting Brisk. He was the Rav in Chaslevich then. So he was there. they were there for Yantif. And Rav Salvechik was a little child and he was sick. He, something was hurting in his throat. He was fever, whatever it was. So they called in a doctor. And the doctor was checking the young boy's throat. And Rav Chaim, the grandfather, was standing there and he asked the doctor, do you need more light? And the doctor said, yeah, it would be nice to have more light. Meaning, he didn't say that we really need it. It would be nice to have more light. So Rav Chaim says to his son, Rav Maisha, you know, make make more light for the doctor. In other words, uh, whatever it was, it was kerosene or candlelight. So it would involve Chil Shabbos. It was on Yantif, it was on Shabbos, whatever it was. So Ramesha was hesitant because the doctor didn't say that he necessarily needs more light. So he didn't want to do it. So Reb Chaim was very upset. He said, you're an Amoritz. How can you be hesitant? So he said to Reb Simchazelig, who was also standing there, you go ahead and, and make uh, more light. And Reb Simchazelig, without he- hesitating, he went ahead and did at Reb Chaim's behest. So, so important was it, the, 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 even the little bit of, uh, uh, of, of, of possibility of, of, of adding more light to check the child for a Shabbos. Um, one time, uh, there was a chicken question again late at night and there was Rabsim Chazalag was grappling with the question and it came out that this particular question of Trephus, there was an equal amount of Paiskim who forbid it and permitted it. So what do you do when it's 50-50? So Rabsim Chazalag said, 
I'm also a Paisik, and I say that it's kosher. So the majority opinion would have come to the conclusion that it's kosher. He was he was brilliant. He knew everything. He uh, he was once uh, passing by. I heard a lot of these stories. Actually, it's a great lecture. I thought my 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 stuff go over time when I'm over a half hour. I get nervous. I listen to an hour and a half lecture on on Yu Torah. I forget the rabbi's name about Rosim Chazelig. So I guess uh, half hour is still sound bites. If other people can go an hour and a half, so I got some of these stories from him. I forgot his name. I have to give him credit as well. So the um, the uh, so he 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 once Rosim Chazelig was passing by when he overheard Reb Chaim discussing a Torah thought with someone else. Maybe it was his son. Um, and, and, and he said as, and Rabbi Sukhazelik says like a casually, he said, oh, that's a rash in Uksin, the rash mishans in Uksin, which, you know, most people don't know, especially not offhand like that, in Uksin, which nobody ever learns, and definitely not relevant to practical halacha. And, and, but he just, he knew everything. Um, he, um, but his, his knowledge was together with his compassion. When he was paskining on those chickens, not only did he know all the paiskin, but sometimes he would cry out, Tatazisa, like Hashem, is crying out to God. It's Yiddish Gelt over here. There's Jewish money at stake in, in this question of Trefus, to, 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 to be able to save them from the cost. Um, Reb Simchazelig was one of the original Paiskim who paskined on the dateline, the international dateline, one of the first ones to grapple with that question. And he came out similar to the Chazanish's position, which was different than the mainstream position. You have to bear in mind that for many years, the Briskarov, again, the successor to his father, Abchaim, Revelvola, he spent a good portion of the year. He was not a healthy man, he had very bad asthma, and his doctors required him to spend several months out of the year in Krenitz and other uh, resorts in Carlsbad to take care of his lungs. And so he was, he was forced to spend several months a year not in brisk. So Simchazela was almost like uh, the Rav, uh, but he was a very modest. Um, uh, uh, he dealt with also with the Aguna questions in the wake of World War One um, during that whole time of mayhem, and he was the one who gave smicha to many of the future rabbis of the next generation because many of the great Russia yeshiva would send him potential smicha candidates to get practical halacha, halacha practice and smicha. Reb, uh, one of the, another brisk native, we talk about a lot of famous brisk natives today, so Reb Isser Yehuda Unterman, the, the second chief rabbi in the state of Israel, is a great Talmud of Reb Shimon Shkup, Malch, uh, he, he grew up in brisk, and he was very close to the Reb Simchazelik, and he got smicha from him. I even saw one source that Rav Soloveitchik himself got uh, smicha from him, I wasn't able to verify that, that's possible also. Um, he also had a role, played a role in the yeshiva. I mentioned that in last episode, in the Teres Chesed yeshiva, he was basically the Rosh yeshiva for many years, in charge of the yeshiva until Ramesha Sokolovsky was hired. Um, there was other Dayanim who served together with Reb Simchazelig on the Bezdin. There was um, Reb Yisra Yehuda Malin, who was Reb Malin's uncle, who was killed by the Nazis, but his children survived. And they, Reb Nechemi Malin had, and, uh, had a yeshiva in Washington, D.C., and then eventually he settled down in Sanhedrin Muchevet, where he opened the Knesset Yehuda, named after his father, who was killed by the Nazis, and the the uh, shul and yeshiva in Sanhedrin Muchevet. Rabbi Nachemi Malin lived a very long life. He just passed away a couple of years ago. Um, so Rabbi Yehuda Malin was a dayan in Brisk, who was an old Brisker family. His grandfather had been a rabbi in Brisk. Also, there was a suburb of Brisk where the dayan was Rabbi Eisen, 
also a, a, a tremendous uh, Talmud Chacham. It's a very prestigious town, and they together with uh, Reb Simcha Zeller, who was the Av Bezdin, they together formed the Bezdin and Brisk. And when the during the Holocaust, so when the Briskerov escaped, he the, the war broke out. He was in Krenitz. It was the summer, and he escaped to Warsaw, then to Vilna. And he wasn't able to contact his family. So the the one Rebiskrov's wife, who was the go-to person she went to, to Simcha Zelig to, to seek out advice, who was able to reassure them until they were able to get contact with the Briskarov. Now, before the Russians came into Brisk, so the Nazis were there for several days, about a week, a week and a half, before they retreated and the Russians uh, took over as part of their agreement. So the Nazis, like in many towns, they were looking for the rabbi. Now, of course, the rabbi wasn't there. The Rav was in Warsaw at the time. So they took Rav Simchazelig in lieu of, of the Briskarov, and they interrogated him, they cut his beard, they threw him down two flights of stairs. He was in his late 70s at the time, so he came out really beaten up. Um, and then less than two years later, following the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union Operation Barbarossa, June 22, 1941, so Brisk was near the border. It got overrun several days later, and he was in the Brisk ghetto, um, his wife had passed away a couple of years before, the 1938. So he was alone. He had several of his children who was who was with him. But uh, Rasim Chazelig organized the matzah baking and distribution in the ghetto together with his son-in-law, uh, Reb Lazer Lipa Klepfish. So he took the leadership initiative in these situations. And eventually, unfortunately, he was killed uh, by the Nazis along with the entire town of Brisk, uh, the Briskarovs Rebetzin and three of their children, and lots of members of his own family. And his, his family, like I said, he had seven children. So one of his sons-in-law was Ramesh Ruvain Gulevsky. His entire, fa- almost his entire family was killed with him in the, in Brisk. But there was another son who was studying in the Kamenitz Yeshiva at the beginning of the war, Chaim Doivber Gulevsky, who was able to get out to Japan. And there's, there's great articles on, on, he just passed away recently, Chaim Doivber Gulevsky. And there's a couple of fantastic articles on him. Uh, by by uh, by Dr. Mark Shapiro, Professor Mark Shapiro on the Svarim blog. You can check that out. Um, this Reb Chaim Dov is a fascinating individual. He became a, a Rebbe at Yeshiva University, and he wrote many many Svarim with all kinds of historical tidbits in these uh, in these Svarim, which are very uh, not just for their learning value, but also for their historical value. Then, of course, uh, Reb Sim Chazalik had the son uh, Moshe Aaron Rieger, who. Um, who, whose daughter, like I mentioned, wrote the book, or Mishan Rieger wrote memoirs, which his daughter, uh, Sarah, uh, who just put out. And, um, there's a grandson of Reb Simcha Zelig named for him, Simi Rieger, his name is, Simi as in Simcha. And he's an American, went to Yeshiva University, but then he moved to Israel a long, long time ago, over, over 50 years ago, I think. He's in his seventies now. And he's a, a basketball reporter. He used to be a basketball player. He's a bit of a celebrity. Um, interesting individual. And his son is a fellow by the name of Yonatan Rieger. All these Riegers. He's a television director, anchor, reporter in Israel, also uh, quite a no- well-known uh, person. There's three of uh, three of Gazelle's children became socialists, uh, left traditional Jewish life. So he had a bit of, of that um, um, challenge as well within his own family. Um, and uh, and that's a little bit uh, about Rebsim Chazelig. So this was uh, Yehuda Geber uh, of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for sponsorships, lectures, virtual tours, sources, and anything else. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. 
and I hope you enjoyed.